Hi, I'm Nicole Breeden. And I'm Kira Brekurek. And you're listening to ProPrac, a podcast where we explore the professional practice of artists and hear their stories. Joining us via telephone today is Kate Power. Kate Power is an artist and writer based in Adelaide. Her practice embraces video, performance, textiles, sculpture, and installation to investigate coexistence and enforce social constructions that can complicate the way people relate to one another. Power is a graduate with first-class honours from the South Australian School of Art. She has recently undertaken residencies at the British School at Rome, NARS Foundation in Brooklyn, and SIM in Reykjavik, Iceland. Power has exhibited at the Contemporary Art Centre of South Australia, Blindside, Seventh Gallery, Paper Mountain, Felt Space, and Ace Open and West Space. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining us today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I was wondering if you can kick things off by telling us the story of how you became an artist. Oh, well, I'm going to just begin when I was born because that makes me feel good to start at a logical beginning point. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So I was born by the beach, um, but my family lived in a semi-rural town in South Australia called Ironbank, mm-hmm. um, and I grew up there with my mom and my dad and my sister, who um, is 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of think of myself as an only child because the age gap meant that we were just at really different phases in our lives, so we didn't have that sibling camaraderie I think that a lot of kids have with their siblings um so we lived there until I was five and then we moved to a suburb um in Adelaide and um when I was seven my parents separated um and I think that was the kind of I don't know that time and the experiences that followed, I think, were really influential mm. in developing my own world, which I kind of see as the beginning of developing a sensibility as an artist, I guess. Um, they separated and then because um, my sister was 17, she kind of had her own life and then my mum got a partner shortly after that and the three of us sort of had this um, – fairly close dynamic. It was kind of an interesting dynamic, but it was a very adult base from the beginning. So I kind of was thrust into this adult world quite young. And because I was by myself as a child, I think I sort of started being interested in, um, I don't know, like creative spaces as a way to process experiences Mm. that time. And um, making sense of things in a weird kid way, in an adult world where not much communication was happening in the family as well. So there wasn't a sense of like we're in this funny zone of just processing this experience together. Um, So because there wasn't much communication, I was sort of finding my little ways of processing things. Yeah. Um, And I even remember the first installation that I made was when I was like eight or something and the power (laughs) went out inside And I just, like, compiled all of these things that I found in my room in this installation thinking that it might create light. Oh, my God. um, It was like I still remember what it looks like. It just looked so cool. And I, like, I saw light coming out of it even though it was just, like, toys and stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that 
I don't know, that's a strong kind of making memory. And I've sort of got strong making memories throughout my childhood. I think I spent a fair bit of time alone. And even when I was with other kids, I sort of felt like they were the kids and I wasn't a kid. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so I can't really think of anything else apart from going to school, being at school. Um, and then when I was sort of like early teens, I started to become pretty politically active. My mum was an academic and really active feminist. Um, She worked in women's health in domestic violence and, um, yeah, I became pretty political and um, we were always having debates at home about social justice and Mm. just, you know, big dinner table chats. Yeah. Um, and then when I was sort of, yeah, well into teens became just like very angry feminist kind of, um, raging about everything, becoming aware of the sexualization of women, um, processing my own sexual abuse and art became my main outlet for all of those things. Um, yeah, like developing... Not even like, yeah, just developing a language to process experiences that I had that I guess um, were hard to make sense of. Mm. Was creative practice at all like um, around in your family at this time? Does anyone else in your um, family have like a writing or a um, art-based practice? Well, my sister worked in the arts. I think. Uh-huh. She had a big influence on me. She worked in the arts in kind of um, community organisation. So she was doing that around this time and her her partner was a musician and so there was just like, yeah, creative feeling around. Um, My mum's partner worked in mental health but he's also a writer. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of, um, yeah, I guess a familiar language to go to. Yeah. The sense of creating something from your experiences in a language that makes sense to you was pretty familiar too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there was kind of an encouragement of that and not really a questioning so much of um, what you were doing. It was just kind of like, yeah, that totally makes sense that you would, <laughs> you would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then when I finished – high school or during high school I was sort of a little bit disengaged and um yeah just found it really hard and spent most of my time in the art room Mm. and then kind of started making my own language around that time in a few different ways I was writing and you know I guess making drawings and things like that um but just starting to feel like I was identifying with the word artist Mm. and so when I finished school, I just didn't really have a question about what I was going to do. I just went straight to art school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, art school was a bit of a shock. Like I think when you're a, you're a teenager or like anyone who goes straight from school to art school doesn't really know what art is, like the contemporary art world is. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's your drawings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and that was like, I don't know, so exciting. Um, 
getting thrown into that world and looking at the library and learning about um, Rebecca Horn and, you know, that was a massive um, just learning experience like it is for anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was at art school, I, um, I don't know what it was like for you, but when I went through VCA, um, the university hadn't amalgamated yet with the University of Melbourne and so um, a lot of the students were what would now be considered mature age students and there was only actually a couple of us, like three or four, that had come straight from high school. And I, I knew a little bit about the contemporary art world but I didn't know everyone and I definitely didn't know like every single YBA and I remember all these like other students kind of knowing everyone and I was like, what? Who are all these people? <laughs> Isn't it just like who I see at NGV? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It's the exciting learning time. Totally. Also, I think I was a bit angry as well because I realised um, I didn't know anything mm. and was kind of like I remember being pretty pissed off at some of my lecturers for not like um, I don't know, not thinking what I was doing was relevant or something. <laughs> yeah. So when you went to uni, were you in a specific department or was it kind of an open department? How did that work? Um, yeah, so I think you do maybe two years of a bit of everything, mm. um, uh, like a foundation study course and then you um, – try out everything for a couple of years and then I think I majored, maybe it was the second half of my second year, yeah, I majored okay. in sculpture mm. and then, yeah, I sort of, I think I was in the sculpture department for the rest of the time I was at uni mm-hmm. then started doing performances and things toward the end of when I was there. Um, yeah. Cool. While you were going through uni, um, Obviously, Adelaide has a pretty strong RE scene. Um, were you also exhibiting at the same time or were you kind of just like focusing at uni? I think I had my first exhibition. Oh, no, I was doing – I was in exhibitions when I was at uni. Mm. Um, pretty low-key RE, um, you know, community-organised shows that maybe were on for a week or something. Yeah. At, when I was in uni, I worked at a um, an artist-run space called Format, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist anymore, but it did exist in a few different locations during the time that I was in uni. And so it was kind of like a it was a space where there was a zine shop in the front, and then a gallery space and a band space. And I worked I worked as um kind of organising the gallery for a little while. Cool. And yeah, so I was sort of organising shows. <laughs> pretty ad hoc shows yeah. <laughs> um and you know exhibiting there as well and going to meetings and yeah kind of doing a lot of bad organizing mm. while I was, and feeling really like under pressure about it too like I'm organizing this gallery and I'm trying to study <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you came out of uni did you like you were kind of saying before about how the idea of like the I the term like being an artist was like starting to come to you when you graduated from uni did that feel like something that you could like like fully step into and be like I'm an artist now or was it something that you kind of needed a bit more time to decide 
um, if you were going to continue that path or even just feel like you could label yourself as an artist? Yeah, I felt really committed and confident in um, being able to maintain a career as an artist. Mm, cool. Um, yeah, I just I sort of was really comfortable with the word artist while I was at uni even and then um, I don't know, maybe it was to my detriment that I was like I could see a clear path as to the things that I needed to do in order to be an artist mm. and this was just like a pretty naive idea of like having a bunch of shows and then I'll probably, you know, it'll just take a smooth progression towards success <laughs> from there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think it happens to everyone. You come out of art school and you apply to all the Aries and you have a million shows and you work really hard and, you know, spend heaps of money and, um, yeah. And, and you get exhausted of- and then you get burnt <laughs> out. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, that's not the end. <laughs> mm. Not all I need to do. Um, so, but I did definitely feel really focused and, um, and kind of spent the first two or three years really working hard on making sure there was some constantly things happening next. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, trying to be pretty broad about the kind of things I was applying for as well, like exhibitions and workshops and residencies and um yeah building my skills saying yes to everything that I got asked to do um Mm. yeah so I think I think that felt at the time like a really viable path Mm. and I felt kind of confident to do that and to say that that's what I was doing as well I never felt like embarrassing or flaky for being like, hi, I'm an artist. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was it, what did the trajectory kind of look like after you um, came out of art school and then did all of those Ari shows and was saying yes to everything? Um, what kind of, what came next? Well, then I was really tired. Mm. And yeah, I, I sort of had a bunch of shows I went on a residency in Iceland in in 2016 for a month um, and that kind of slowed me down a little bit um, because I I guess I just had time to step back and to think about um, what my process was and what I wanted to do next. Um, And then when I got back from that, I pretty soon after went on a residency in New York for three months Um, and I was working really hard there and I made a lot of work but Mm. it was also an opportunity to sort of I guess just wonder about what I really wanted to be doing and if if the work I was making was the the work that I wanted to be making and just kind of reconnecting a little bit and I think as soon as I was sort of doing that and then still continuing to exhibit I was... um, yeah, just thinking a little bit more about what direction I wanted to take. And mm. then after that I came back and had a bunch of other shows and then I went on another residency to Rome, which was really incredible um, and it's such an amazing and challenging time. 
but I think the banking up of residencies <laughs> and sort of moving around and doing so much stuff in quick succession was really exhausting. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of have come home since then and been taking things much slower and trying to figure out um, or trying to find a way to be sustainable, I suppose, mm. because that kind of exhaustion and that um, kind of continually feeling as if I have to be doing something um, to stay, I don't know, to, to feel like I'm in it still has been um, a bit of a challenge. So now I'm trying to think a bit more about how to sort of maintain a sustainable practice without feeling like it's all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of like leads perfectly onto the next um, question, which is what has been some of your biggest challenges and things that you've needed to overcome to continue your practice? Obviously, you're just talking about like exhaustion and creating a sustainable practice, but has there been anything else that's come up along the way? Um, That's definitely the biggest challenge that I've had so far. Um, obviously funding yeah. is a big um, and using all of your own money to make your projects happen um, and then working really hard at, you know, a paid job in order to make your artwork is just kind of this terrible cycle that's not sustainable at all. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a whole bunch of time working at a job I call it my jobby I work at a bookshop um (laughs) and it's my jobby so you know I have a block of time working at a jobby and then um is that like half job half hobby (laughs) (laughs) or just like actually a bit of a um I don't know it's sort of disrespectful to my job I guess it just makes it seem like because it's the the job that I have on the side that I have to have in order to make yeah 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 I guess it's a bit of a hobby. Like I really like reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just kind of a little bit of a joke, like my little jobby. <laughs> Spending a bunch of time in order to be able to maintain my work and then having time where I'm trying to maintain my work but don't have the income. Um, so it's kind of this funny thing of like you have money and no time or you have time and no money. Totally. Um, <laughs> And, you know, at the moment I've got money but no time. So um, that's just as stressful as having no money really mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you get really depressed and moody if you're not working Yeah, and, uh, have that outlet. Um, so, yeah, I just feel quite um, grumpy yeah. and so disconnected. <laughs> my work Mm -hmm. um but my bills are paid on time and that's kind of good (laughs) Um, yeah so that's that's a challenge um I think it's a challenge also during those times when you're doing this necessary stepping back and and just recalibrating a bit and getting you know getting a bit more stable after a high stress or high energy time from a show um just knowing that that is necessary but at the same time feeling like your connection to your work might be slipping away or your sense of being in it or feeling part of it starts to slip away a bit. Like it feels like that whole thing of you are your latest show or whatever the saying is. Like, yeah. Um, it's a yucky thing that that's part of it too is, you know, you see people at openings and everyone wants to know what you're doing. Um, 
That's come up in like every episode this season. Just say, (laughs) what are you working on next? It's like number one dreaded question for everyone. Yeah. Um, Which is fun if you've got a million things coming up and you can brag about them and you can feel good about that. Oh, except then instead of um, saying, oh, I'm working on this really exciting project, most people are like, oh, I'm so stressed. Yeah. I'm so busy. So busy. And they just want to be um, the person who's taking some time out. And the person taking time out just wants to be the person with so many things on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird weird thing. Yeah. I wonder if we can come up with a new question to ask each other. Like, Uh, I much prefer to say, like, what did you do today? Yeah, that is nice. I like that. Like, bring it down, you know, present, well, not quite present moment, but, you know, keeping it, what did you do today? I don't Mm. know. Mm. It's mostly just the awkwardness <clears throat> of the other person not mm. knowing. Yeah. Us. Like we actually have nothing in common except for bumping into each other openings. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you know, given that, uh, you know, you've spent so much of the last couple of years working so hard on um, projects, but like what, uh, what does a successful practice mean to you? I think um, the feeling of excitement about what you're working on or maybe a, a kind of feeling of deep connection with your ideas and with your work would be successful mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I think just a deep connection with your work and Whatever that is at the time, like I don't think it necessarily needs to be that you're, um, I don't know, like you've got things to show for it in the moment or something like that. But, um, yeah, just a focus and a connection and an engagement. Mm. That's really nice. What I hope for, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think for, for me personally it would be, that my practice continues to work over a few different, in a few different contexts, like that I can exhibit work and I can do performances and I can teach and I can engage in community spaces. I think that is when it feels good is when there's a few different kinds of modes happening and I'm not in one space. Mm. Like it wouldn't be being in the studio all the time working and, you know, exhibiting. It would be that I'm engaging in a few different ways. So, okay, I'm wondering what does your practice look like? Can you give us a day or a week in the life of Kate Power? Yes. Well, I thought I might answer in two ways because of my, um, what I previously said about, like, lots of jobby time and lots of studio time Mm. Um, because, I don't know, it seems to be anyway lately that I've been kind of ebbing and flowing between those two and having kind of intensive blocks of both rather than having a good balance. Um, So at the moment I'm working like five days a week and um, at the jobby, Mm -hmm. um, pretty much nine to five at a bookshop, um, 
and then I have two days off, which is Monday and Tuesday. Um, and on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I swim early at the pool around the corner um, with my mum mm-hmm. and we do laps and then we – it's winter at the moment obviously so we um, – Brutal. Sit in her car afterwards and drink coffee and have a chat. <laughs> um, we started sitting outside when it was still sunny and nice, but then it got really cold. So now we just sit in the car and have a chat with coffee. And then I go to work. Um, and then I just talk to people all day about books. And um, it's kind of nice because it's a monotonous job, but in a sense that it's, um, you know, it's a fairly similar day each day. Yeah. Um, but it's conversations with people and stories and new words and ideas all the time. So that's still good for me and exciting and engaging in a different kind of way. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I'm still trying to fit in everything around that as well. So I come home and, you know, check out what grants I need to apply for or what applications I need to be doing at night mostly. So it's not really great at the moment because I'm doing a lot of work all the time. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's – oh, I always have coffee in bed. Like apart from the coffee in the car with mum, I always drink coffee in bed in the morning before getting up. Mm. If I wake up and I haven't had a coffee in bed, it's a, it's not a good day and it usually feels like the day never begins. Mm. I get like, oh, that day never began. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of like, and, oh, and recently when I was assisting this artist on the exhibition, I was doing those hours as well. And Mm. then I, so she asked me to remake one of her works for her that she made in the nineties. And she gave me a photograph and a, um, no, she gave me a slide and told me how to make the work. And then, um, um, and the materials and then just that was it. Wow. <laughs> but I, yeah, so I just sort of started doing this full-time work and I'd moved house and I was like, I'm also really broke so I'm going to do this work for her but I'm going to have to fit it around my jobby. Mm. So I decided to just do it around those hours which meant, you know, I'd get home from work and then do it from like 6 till 12 and it was it was kind of okay except that the work was being made with feathers and there was mm. just feathers. So oh I was kind of working like around the clock at these two jobs with feathers everywhere in this house that I hadn't set up yet because I'd only just moved in. Oh. <laughs> it was like a hectic couple of months. It's like going to work with like bits of feather in your hair and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I'm working more in the studio, I like to do um, – so I like to get up have the coffee in bed um maybe you do a little bit of like leisurely looking at instagram um looking at um you know things to buy on the internet and then reading in bed a bit mm-hmm. more of a start to the day mm-hmm. yeah and then I like to do 10 till 4 at the studio because it's kind of like um I think that's a good amount of time for me because it means that I'm a bit more focused when I'm there mm-hmm. rather than being like, I'm going to get there at nine and not leave till six because then I get really flaky. And mm. yeah, so I like to get there at 10. Mm-hmm. And I 
studio day depends what time of making I'm at. Sometimes it's like reading books and doing drawings and, um, yeah, just thinking, um, making notes. Or other times it's pretty active making, I guess. Um, and when it's nearer to an exhibition, it's not 10 till 4 anymore. It's like 9 till 10 yeah. and really hardcore, <laughs> you know, physical making. So it really varies depending mm. on the cycle if I'm having an exhibition. Do you have <laughs> a studio close to your home or at your home or in a complex where it- how do you structure kind of um, where your studio is located? At the moment I have a studio in an old um, church which is about a 10-minute drive from my house mm-hmm. um, and I think there's about, oh, it's the same one that Jen is in actually. Oh, cool. Hmm. I think there's maybe like 12 artists there and um I kind of like that. I've been in that studio and I've had a couple of different studios in there and at the moment I have one that's um, a bit bigger and it's got a door so it's not kind of as um, communal as the others which are all shared by a hallway. Mm. Um, I like to have a really private space. So, um, yeah, the door suits me well. Yeah. Um, Do whatever I want and not feel like anyone's looking. Um. That's kind of super important. I've never made successful work in a studio where there's been, you know, only a curtain or something separating mm-hmm. you from mm. Do my weird secret things and have no one threatening to come in. Mm. <laughs> I can totally relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all you performance artists. <laughs> we just need our well, yeah. You're always yeah, taking look. your clothes off. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think it's a psychological thing for me. It's like I need to be able to be completely in my own private space. Totally. Whatever that looks like. Mm. Um but I think um yeah, the open studio structure or like partitions for me is just like I would feel like I'm on display all the time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that actually is a pretty big psychological thing of um safety as well mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. I really like that 10 to 4 time structure mm. as well that sounds like a really um practical and like um you know finding out the times that you work best as well like I think for a really long time I thought I was a night owl um but I'm also someone that like quite naturally wakes up really early in the morning and then I realised I was just like staying up really late because um, I kind of thought I had to to show that I was like working really hard and then I realised like, oh, no, like getting up early, that's like when my brain functions the best and I have a lot of clarity. Like I think it's it's interesting. Um, I, we've always been conditioned, I guess, from school or, you know, and the eight-hour day and everything that, like, the most, you know, your time period is meant to be that you're working from, like, nine to five kind of time. But when you realise that, like, what is your maximum time, like, periods Mm. of operating um, is really interesting. Oh, I just sort of feel like the eight-hour day is a lot of people um, feeling obligated to do the eight hours and then they waste 
you know, a lot of them because um, mm. they're not focused or, you know, it's almost like procrastination is built into the eight-hour day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Absolutely. When I think about, like, lots of people I know who work in other kind of jobs um, that aren't hospitality or customer service in the way that they can sit behind a computer for a lot of the day and, like, when I find out how much other stuff that they do, I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well- with like a full-time um, office job is just always sending me things that she finds on the internet that she would like to buy. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're yeah. at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Online shopping. I'm like, what is your job? <laughs> Those like couple of years that I worked as a more, more tradey kind of hours, that was like brutal because you turn up at seven in the morning and you're like, work until three and then you're wrecked for the rest of the day. Mm. It's like nonstop. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's like the luxury to be able to hide behind a computer and pretend you're doing something. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, the 10 till 4 thing is also a little bit of an idealised um, concept. Like it doesn't necessarily always happen that way. But yeah. that's my aim anyway. Yeah. And I that, that knowing that all I need to do is get to the studio work for a few hours and at least shift something in there so that next time I go it's changed (laughs) and then I can change it again like yeah about it's about even if it's slow progress it's about making sure there's progress each day Mm -hmm. and and I think knowing that closer to when I'm trying to resolve something it will be like so many hours and I'll be so late and stressed it's just kind of like a bit of a parameter because I get before an exhibition just so stressed and obsessive Mm -hmm. um like I just I think it's pretty common but I just can't focus on anything else Mm. I'm there all the time I can't leave it alone um so just knowing that that time is um coming I'm like okay try and keep it pretty calm now Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so that you've kind of maintained some I don't know sense of being together before the shitstorm arrives yeah do you kind of sustain that swimming practice through those busy periods as well um or is it something that you're more flexible about like letting go of at certain times I think it kind of does fall to the wayside a bit when I'm like super to the end, but I do yeah. try because I find that it's really important for my mental health mm. to um, exercise, um, which is a, I feel like it's an annoying thing to say because it's always what people say you should do, but it really is true. Yeah, <laughs> you know, mm. I'm having a tr- I'm struggling with something and I forget to swim. As soon as I go back to the pool, I'm like, oh. Like half the problem is that I haven't been swimming. It's not yeah. that anything's wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I try and um, I try and make sure I keep doing that. Yeah. Even like you know, even if it's like half the amount of time I would usually swim. Yeah. Just it's, it's turn up to do it. Yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah. A lot. Of, a lot of our other guests have said that they um. Yeah. Use different kind of forms of exercise to help them along with their practice. Like, do you have any other resources that you use kind of in times of uh, stress throughout your practice that help or any help you resources along? that have been influential to your practice um like in a destructive way drinking 
Um, like that's not a healthy practice, but I think for letting steam off and for letting go a bit, I find drinking kind of helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of is a bit of a part of the creative process for me as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like drinking and then in, in hand in hand with that dancing mm-hmm. as a kind of like letting go. Um, I read a lot, so that's um, like a, as a form of research but also as a form of um, I don't want to say inspiration. <laughs> What's another word? <laughs> um, just like extra ideas. Can, yeah. Influence. Yeah, just input. Um, Further information. Yeah, and, you know, I read a lot of short stories because I mm. think that that works for me and my work to have these sort of small snippets of other worlds um also I read a lot of biographies and I think biographies of artists that I really like are great because it kind of reminds you that there isn't a path that's predetermined for anyone like you um you do the things leading on from one another and that's how a life is made it's not like this thing that makes sense yeah beforehand or anything yeah so um I always feel really good when I'm reading artist biographies Mm. um a couple that I've read I read Audre Lorde's biography Mm. um beginning of the year called Zami and it's so good and that um because you know she had so many jobs and was kind of working as a writer ongoing the whole time as well but was just developing herself in her own ways and discovering her sexuality and travelling. Yeah, it was just kind of like a picture of a really full life. Mm. Um, also, um, I read Chris Krause's biography of Kathy Acker. Oh, uh, yeah. That's great as well for similar reasons. Um, but just, you know, getting a sense of how people kind of go from one impulse to the other and you don't have to stay the same um, yeah and how you kind of change your form as an artist as well mm. how you how you move from something that you knew into uncertainty and then that becomes what you know and then that changes again so I think I sort of liked that book for that reason yeah um I like walking as well mm. um oh going to artist talks like is really useful as well um just listening to other people talk about their ideas and their work, it gets you out of your own space, I think. Um, for anyone who is listening, because you're obviously in South Australia, and if anyone that's listening interstate and who might be kind of travelling to South Australia um, at any point, is there any spaces that have regular artist talks that they should be looking at the calendars for or um, any institutions that offer regular artist talks that you know of well ace open usually do an artist talk for their program Mm -hmm. and um they usually have events with their exhibitions now as well Mm -hmm. the last artist they exhibited there was Elias alavi and he had like two performances an artist talk and then a workshop as well um so yeah ace felt space do text club which is they discuss the text in line with the exhibition each month. Um, 
Vital statistics often have artist talks as well or like showings. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing that I was going to say as a resource as well. I feel like every time I go to Vitals, it's so – I just feel really rejuvenated and connected to the art community here. And, um, yeah, the artists that they invite to work with are always – I don't know, it's just like a really sincere connection with work. Um yeah, and it's sort of just so critically engaged and um, I don't know what word, like genuine or something. Mm. But, yeah, they have artist talks there, their art gallery do, you know, events. Yeah, as well. um, yeah we cool. sort of lost a few Aries or artist spaces recently, so it's a little bit a little bit um, less going on. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Um, and for anyone who's listening who is in Melbourne or who will be travelling to Melbourne, um, the VCA do art forum on Thursdays that I'm pretty sure are open to the public. I think anyone can go along to them. Um, and then only at midday. And Monash University do some open ones as well. Um, they're good too. It's, I think it's always nice, like if you're in a new um, city or traveling somewhere to be able to go to artist talks and connect and engage with the arts community that way as well. Mm, yeah. There is like a um there is um a program as part of the uni that I think they also have artist talks as well. Cool. If you could travel back through time to the start of your career and tell you something tell yourself something that you know now what what would you tell yourself? I think I would just say go at your own pace. And um, maybe sort of just do what feels right um, in terms of, you know, you don't have to say yes because it's a great opportunity. Um, And also it's okay to change your mind if something's not feeling quite right. Um, I think I always feel like doing the hardest thing or saying yes and figuring it out even if it doesn't feel good is, you know, just is the best way to work hard, but um, it's meant that maybe, um, yeah, I've just sort of done a few things that weren't right for the moment. Mm. Um, I think also staying in the moment with the work um, and feeling connected to it and sort of trusting it without feeling too concerned where it's going or if it's going in the right direction. Um, Yeah, just like... Being with the work and trusting the work mm. and not um, about the bigger picture so much. Mm. That's yeah. really great. Yeah, I think um, I spoke about this recently at a talk that we did about trusting your practice and like um, or trusting the work and kind of letting it be, you know, not of you but like being alongside you and knowing that it has its own thing and going on and your practice kind of shows up when you show up. Um, and it's kind of this, I think when I figured that out, um, it made me have a lot less anxiety about my practice and whether the work was going to like be good or not. Um, it was just like, okay, I trust the work and I trust my practice. Um, I don't need to kind of get in the way too much. And I think that whole thing of goodness 
really can quash some really good work. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, I think that's what I mean with staying in the moment, like not, not worrying if it's good, whatever that means. Um, Cause it's just such a paralyzing concept and it really does sort of shut down some different ideas. You know, you're not leaning into the unknown so much. You're like, what is good? How do I know what good is from previous examples? Mm. Um, so that can kind of box you in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. If people want to go and see your work, um, do you have a website that people can check out your work on? Oh, yeah. It's um, katepowerartist.com. Cool. And do you have an Instagram that is public at all? I do. It's um, Kate underscore 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 power. Great. Great. Cool. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today and sharing your story as well. Um, Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. This episode is recorded on the sovereign land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for listening to ProPrac. You can listen to other episodes and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can stay up to date with what we're up to on Instagram at ProPracPodcast or send us an email at ProPracPod at gmail.com.